Rasputin, lover of the Russian queen. They put some poison into his wine. Ra ra Rasputin, Russia's greatest love machine. He drank it all and said, I feel fine. Oh, I love that song. That was amazing. Thank you. Uh, I could have gone longer, but I was like, it's just literally the same three sentences. Oh. If this I'm not, podcast- not going to say I'm not going to get hyped about it. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast uh, gig doesn't work out. I know what your backup is cover band i feel like i would be like britney spears backup dancer but as a singer you know what i mean just that weird <laughs> twirling uncomfortable and it's making the room real weird that's what makes it so special i know <laughs> if you haven't guessed already this is jen this is becky and this is too close to home the final part of rasputin and the romanovs final final the final countdown so the sources uh our last podcast on the left episodes 310 to 313 Rasputin, The Untold Story by Joseph T. Furman. Rasputin, The Devil in the Flesh. Wikipedia, Encyclopedia Britannica, NPR, and The Last Czars, the Netflix miniseries. So last time we talked about Rasputin and uh, how he was really in his cups, the controversies that would lead to both his and the Romanov's demise. And that's when we're going to talk. It's going to get a little dark. And then it's going to be funny in some spots. So It's always funny. Prepare yourself to talk about a lot of male genitalia. All right, let's do it. <laughs> Just some dick grabbing good time. Mm. So dick on, swinging time. <laughs> dick swinging. A big dick energy. <laughs> How many can we do before someone stops us? <laughs> <laughs> They're not here, so they can't. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you press pause. Don't you get away from this podcast. You know you love it. So on November 19th, 1916, Parishkovich gave a speech in the Duma and coined the phrase ministerial leapfrog to describe the seemingly continuous government reshuffle. So if we remember the Tsarina had like done like five new prime ministers and three new ministers of this and all that other jazz because she was listening to Rasputin. Rasputin don't know what the fuck he's doing. He's just... She was draining the swamp. like Just doing whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And so... Prince Felix Yusupov was impressed by that speech. And he, Felix, Prince Felix, is going to be very important to Rasputin's death. He was married to Princess Irina Alexandrova, a niece of Tsar Nicholas, and basically a Nepo baby who avoided being conscripted to the war by the only son rule that was around at the time. So if you were the only son, somebody's got to carry on the name because, you know, fuck women, I guess. Well, they don't carry the name on. Some women do. Some are strong, independent women. Not 1916, they weren't. No, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) They burned those bitches as witches. (laughs) Exactly. So Felix visited Perskovich, who quickly agreed. Oh, did I miss something? Oh. He believed Rasputin was a... (laughs) I missed a whole ass sentence. He believed Rasputin was a German spy, and Felix's complete obsession with the occult It didn't take oh, long to get yeah. there. Never does. Does it? Like three <laughs> sentences in, already confusing myself. He believed that Rasputin was a German spy and that Felix's complete obsession with the occult, because he was into that shit too, he stated that he knew Rasputin's a demon. Like, you see his eyes? Tell me those ain't demon eyes. Uh, have you brushed his hair back and seen his little baby horns? They're there. His little baby? My lump. My lump. <laughs> my horny, horny lump. Anyways... Felix visited Perskovich, who quickly agreed to participate in the killing of Rasputin, as well as Grand Duke Dmitry Pavlovich, Dr. Stanislas D. Lazavert, and Lieutenant Sergei Mikhailovich Sukotin, 
and an armor of, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that one, regiment. <laughs> it's like P-R-E-O-B-R-A-Z-H-E-N-S-K-Y. And none of that looks like it makes sense. You I might know not I even spell it right. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> we'll pretend I did say it. Yeah, 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 totally. Did you see how well I ate that word? Good uh, he was hoping that this would end Rasputin's influence over the imperial family, and this would have a beneficial effect on the Tsar's policy. So kind of rewinding the clock and getting things set right. So it meant that he had, Felix had to start getting really close to Rasputin to get his trust. So he began visiting him regularly for treatment of back pain. And I'm sorry, it cracked me up a little bit because I was like, I'm so used to women being like, I'm going here for my mystical healing <laughs> this man comes in for back pain <laughs> you're not you're not his type maybe maybe you should send jimmy there he'll fix him right up <laughs> there ain't no fixing that broke ass <laughs> <laughs> so eventually felix would say hey i'm having a little bit of a housewarming soiree on december 17th you down the clown not an exact quote. But. Oh, I was literally <laughs> opening my mouth to say, was that a direct quote? Please tell me it was. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it had been. And so the plan's in action. A major reconstruction of the palace had almost been finished with a small room in the basement, carefully furnished. Nothing ha good happens in basements. I think we've all seen horror movies, okay? Right. <laughs> Around midnight, December 30th, 1916, Rasputin was brought into the basement, invited to eat petit fours that were laced with cyanide. The conspirators had crushed this, a bunch of cyanide pills and put them in sweets and Madeira wine. He asked for a wine instead and drank three glasses of cyanide lace wine. <laughs> not even not even a twitch. <laughs> However, he was like, that's because you can't poison demons. Hello. Hello. How much of the occult are you studying? You need like, a silver bullet or a stake through the heart. Come on, you decapitate. That's how that works. Get with it. Thank you. Where's a Catholic priest when you need them? Playing with the little boys. <laughs> <laughs> that would be correct. <laughs> so he, uh, he, they offered the petit fours as like these little tea cakes that look yeah. adorable that probably don't taste that great. They don't. Never had them, but I didn't want to ruin the look. You know what I mean? Right. They, they look bougie. But he was like, oh, I don't like sweets. And then like every other person, you know, that when they get drunk, they're like, I'm fucking hungry. We go to McDonald's <laughs> at 1 a.m. You know what I need? Bitch needs a Frosty. <laughs> Let's go to Wendy's next. <sighs> so he was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll take those petite fours now. There is so much cyanide in both of those. It could kill several people several times over. But he seemed to be happy as ever. Just, just gobbling them up. Gobbling up. Asking Felix to play some songs on guitar. Like a real hippie. They just like basically like fed him some, you know, uh, hallucinogenics or something. He was just like fucking tripping balls and having a great time eating and drinking. He's just, like sitting there playing guitar just like, the fuck is going on? Why is he not dead yet? We all know if you're high on drugs is when you play the guitar the best. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, they were like, he's like, hold on, I've, I've got to excuse myself for just a minute. And so he runs upstairs at 2.30. So this is two and a half hours of him eating cakes and drinking lace cyanide wine. And they're like, bro, what's our plan B? Because obviously plan A is not working. They're like, but we're just going to have to cut the chase and shoot him. So down to the basement, Felix went with a revolver, pointed it at Rasputin's gut as old Greg was like, admiring this crystal cross in the, in the room. Just like, oh, you look at this. He fell uh, screaming as a sack of potatoes as a frank 
a fake parky parky a fake party was happening upstairs and as he lay there dying the sounds of yankee doodle dandy was playing on a gramophone upstairs That's so special i know would you imagine dying to that i would want to die right <laughs> turn that shit off like you know what might as well put me in a small world after all after i'm while i'm dying right just really make it miserable Yusuprof wrote in his memoirs, The devil who was dying of poison, who had a bullet in his heart, must have been raised from the dead by the powers of evil. There was something appalling and monstrous in his diabolical refusal to die. <laughs> That's what people tell me all the time. Diabolical, diabolical refusal to die. I'm here for it. <laughs> they dressed up a fellow conspirator as Rasputin and sent him home to avoid suspicion, which sounds like someone's seen true crime. Okay. Someone's been watching their dateline. Exactly. So they got him dressed up. They're like, we know that we have to make sure that he looks like he went back home. That person goes back and then they all come back to the the palace to figure out what are we going to do with his body. Did they come back and Rasputin was like holding a gauze on him <laughs> and drinking some more? Because <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> Felix went to go check on Rasputin's body again. And he was so mad. He was like shaking him with anger. And then Rasputin pulls like a full foaming mouth Cujo zombie on him and attacks Felix who runs the fuck upstairs like oh shit <laughs> like he's not dead I'm here for this I'm here <laughs> for this Rasputin decides I gotta follow Felix and before anything could happen as they run out the front door Perishkovich shot him in the back which brought him down and then point blank in his head which is not normal zombie procedure if <laughs> you know anybody knows their their correct rules when it comes to the end of the world this is not them no. <laughs> Felix then started beating Rasputin's corpse with a dumbbell until the rest of the conspirators oh pulled him off Rasputin's body, which makes me wonder, like, first of all, did you where did you get the dumbbell that's from? That's what I was just about to say. I didn't know that free weights were a big thing in 1916. That's <laughs> a Jane Fonda back yeah. in the day. <laughs> I guess, you know, everybody's trying to keep that body in check for summer. <laughs> Some kind of shape. <laughs> And so they rolled him in a curtain and they drove him to the Bolshoi Batrovsky Bridge to throw his body out with the hopes that it would make it out to sea. No body, no crime, right? Right. Except they didn't weigh him down. And when they threw one of his boots he just over, back up. <laughs> it was so icy that one of the boots that's that amazing. just sat on there. <laughs> that's even better than washing back up. He's and just instead of sitting on top, instead of like doing anything about it, they're like, all right. <laughs> it's good. It's good. No one will see. <laughs> Nobody will see this. And in the morning, they did see. <laughs> <laughs> what? I said, it just landed on ice. So great plan in theory, terrible execution, pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> Perskovich would be one of the worst conspirators as he openly bragged on murdering Rasputin, causing the police to investigate before the body was ever found. So, yes, you guys were smart to cover up your tracks by taking them and dumping them and then having somebody fake. But... Homie couldn't keep us. That's why you always do crimes alone. How someone serial killers talk. they don't have accomplices most times because they end up either killing them accomplice or the accomplice kills them. We know the rules here, y'all. We do. <laughs> well, the rules to not getting caught. Loose lips sink, sink ships. ships. <laughs> <laughs> That's the form of military life. Was <laughs> <laughs> it opsec? Don't you know opsec, sir? <laughs> Eventually, two workmen noticed blood on the railing of the bridge and then found the boot on the ice below, and they began searching the area. They found his body on New Year's Day, 1917, 200 meters downstream of the bridge. So, 
Dmitry Kosartov, the seed, Dmitry Kosartov, the senior, son of a bitch. You're doing great. The city's senior autopsy surgeon. There we go. Conducted an autopsy. His report was lost, but he later stated that Rasputin's body had shown signs of severe trauma, including three gunshot wounds, one at close range to the forehead, a slice wound to his left side, and many other injuries, many of which Kosorotov felt that had been sustained post-mortem. Might have been those dumbbells. <laughs> Kosorotov found a single bullet in Rasputin's body, but stated that it was too badly deformed and of a type too widely used to trace. According to both Douglas Smith and Joseph Bergman, Kosartov found no water in Rasputin's lungs. In that report, Rasputin had been thrown into the water alive or incorrect. Some later accounts claimed that Rasputin's penis had been severed, but Kosartov <laughs> said his genitals were intact. <laughs> he found no evidence that Rasputin had been poisoned, and there are two theories of why that is. One could be the doctor that was involved faked that he did this mm-hmm. because he didn't want to violate his Hippocratic oath, but also didn't want to be a snitch. You know what I'm saying? I, I Not mean. accounting for the gun. The other is that his a previous assassination attempt fucked with his stomach, so it could not produce much acid. That's how cyanide becomes active, is the acid in your stomach. So it just could have been light poisoning, if any at all. You hear that, JJ? I take medicine that stops stomach acid production, so you can't kill me that way. <laughs> Try if you want. You probably are. <laughs> no cyanide with this bitch. <laughs> She'll be Rasputin eating petite fours and drinking Madeira wine. All night long. All night long. With that big dick energy. <laughs> yes, you do. You do have some big dick energy. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for recognizing and appreciating me. You know what? Big dick energy sees big dick energy. That's all I got to say. <laughs> so he was buried the next day with only the Imperial family and their close courtiers in attendance. His wife, children, and mistress were not invited to his burial. <laughs> Oh, wow. He was buried at Skarkoya Salo. Um, the imperial family had planned to build a church on top of him in his memory. The Tsarina ordered an investigation which uncovered most of the conspirators. She wanted them shot immediately, but she was persuaded, persuaded to back off the idea. Without a trial, the Tsar sent Dmitri to the front in Persia. Sounds like a terrible gig. Perskovich was already on the way to the front in Romania, and the Tsar banished Yusupov to his estate. To his estate banished him to an estate. You know what? Banish me to a mansion, please. I'll, I'll settle for being banished to my home. Right? It's not a mansion or a state, but that's fine. You mean I don't have to see any more people? Right. <laughs> Say less. I don't have to go to work? <laughs> Thank I you. I got you, fam. You mean I get to have servants that feed and clothe me and clean up after me? Oh, my God. It's my cross to bear. <laughs> 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 the penis legend lives on, though. Uh, beginning with the legend that Prince Felix Yusupov cut off his penis and tossed it away. The first reports of the fate of the infamous mystic's penis came in the 1920s when a group of Russian immigrants who were living in France claimed to be in possession of his most prized possession. <laughs> Kept as a religious relic of sorts, I'm sure it had to do with fertility. <laughs> <laughs> legend has it that the severed member had the power to grant fertility. That's precious. <laughs> in 1994, an American collector named... Michael Augustine claimed that he had come into possession of the penis by the way of the late Maria Rasputin's estate sale. That's his daughter. The Could you only imagine one. like waking up in the middle of the night and you see Jimmy on eBay <laughs> and he's like refreshing his bid and you're like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm a, I got five minutes left and then I get Rasputin's dick. <laughs> we all know it would be me doing that. <laughs> I, I don't know. Jimmy buys you a lot of your um, morbid things. Yeah, that's true. He does. 
Yeah. It could be your wedding anniversary gift. Oh my God, Jimmy, that is coming up July. I'm going to need a dick. <laughs> Not oh, yours. He's got one for you. <laughs> <laughs> that was not the way I went for that to go. Not your dick. That's I want Rasputin's. <laughs> that's exactly the way he meant for it to go. <laughs> She's like, oh, got you. He's, and it's recorded. She said she wants a dick on our anniversary. <laughs> You're going to be laying in bed and he's going to be like, if you don't recall, and just going to play, on our anniversary, I want dick. He's like, I got you, fam. <laughs> it's like the clock hits midnight. Like, hey, hey, hey. I just want you to remember this little clip right here. <laughs> <laughs> if I don't get a dick from, for our anniversary, I'm a, and I mean not again, yours, you're going to get I'm it. I'm gonna get over it over and over. <laughs> <laughs> so the grotesque object, which I mean, that's kind of offensive to talk about somebody's dick like that. <laughs> they are grotesque looking, though. We all know that. <laughs> I've never looked at a dick and went, like, look at it. It's so funny. So it's usually like the the same thing you feel like about a bat. Like, oh my god, it's so ugly. I could just squeeze it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Jimmy kept leaning over, looking at me like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> Sorry, let me get off Is that this tangent. <laughs> wedding night too. <laughs> Lean over, look at you. And go, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> it's just so cute. I want to squeeze it. <laughs> so the grotesque object was later determined to be nothing more than a dried up sea cucumber. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> As of 2004, there was a penis sitting in the Museum of Russian Erotica in St. Petersburg that allegedly belonged to none other than Rasputin himself. The owner of the museum pay- claimed he paid a whopping $8,000 for the oversized member, <laughs> which measures in at an impressive 12 inches. Shiza. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know where you think you're coming with that. <laughs> <laughs> you keep that away from me. Well, it hasn't been tested, so no one knows for sure, but it's some suspect it's not even human. Most experts believe that this mystery meat is really just a severed cow's penis or possibly a horse's. <laughs> Which, I mean, that would be an insult to the horse. Be like, that's a man-sized dick. <laughs> Instead of a, a horse-sized dick. I feel like the horse got insulted a little bit out of this. <laughs> Must have been a white horse. <laughs> Must have been a white horse. Irish. <laughs> Kanaskin, which is the name of the owner of the Russian Erotica Museum, which we will one day go when this shit gets over with. Right. In maybe 20 years. Um, right, right. When Russia's safe again? Oh, God. It's, it's going to be either new corner. Ukraine or old Russia. You know. <laughs> it's gone through several different... It's like reinventing itself every 20 years with communism. You Same. Know? <laughs> Same. Hey, he said, I am 99% sure it's real. <laughs> he told that after he bought the pickled penis. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. So, nine, nine, was that one percent? What is that one percent? What do you think it is? That's what crazy. Like, <laughs> I'm 99, not even 99.9. Just 99. I just want to play it safe. 99. <laughs> I'm going to need you to be 100% before you spend eight grand on a severed dick. That that's what it is. <laughs> exactly. Now that Rasputin has kicked the bucket, well, the dick, I guess. Anyways, by early 1917, Russia was on the verge of total collapse of morale. An estimated 1.7 million Russian soldiers were killed in World War One. Yikes. So, I just want brought us right on down. <laughs> I will say, though, I feel like it's kind of Russia's fault. I was watching this documentary series, and they were talking about the Russians taking a boat of the Nazis, yada yada. It was an aircraft carrier, and the Russians didn't have one, and they wanted to see how easy it was to sink. <laughs> 
So they dropped 50 bombs on it and they hit it nine times. Nine, <laughs> nine times out of 50 bombs. I'm like, that is that's like, why you're not the superpower country. But you know what? It's better than Stormtrooper odds. <laughs> and we have to appreciate that. <laughs> nine out of 50. Try zero out of 50. I'm looking at you in your white uniform, snort troopers. That was a nerdy. Oh, God. Sometimes I can't even stand myself. <laughs> I can't. The fact that that was the first thing that came into my mind. Oh, I'm so sorry. I let you down. I live with JJ. I deal with this on a daily basis. Uh, (laughs) Is there a support group for for relatives of nerds? I have one of my own. It's in my closet with a bottle of wine. And I talk to myself. (laughs) You just got to make it through, Becky. (laughs) Just nod along and be like, oh, it's so interesting. Just know there's butter bear involved. Okay. (laughs) It's it's all worth it. It's all worth it. The army had taken 15 million men from the farms and the food prices soared, you know, because it's a little bit more on the scarce side. An egg cost four times what it had in 1914. Hey, that was the same as like two weeks ago. (laughs) Twinning. (laughs) Butter, five times as much. The severe winter dealt the railways overburdened by emergency shipments of coals and supplies a crippling blow. By February 1917, supplies of flour and fuel, which why would you be shipping that together? We have OSHA. That's why we have OSHA now. (laughs) Flour and fuel. (laughs) Make sure you grab the right F and send it to the right place. You know the Italian, give me fuel, give me fire. Give me me fuel, give me flour. (laughs) So bad. Um, It had all but disappeared to Petrograd. A wartime prohibition of alcohol was enacted by Nicholas to boost patriotism and productivity. Sir! (laughs) I don't think you realize how therapeutic a good glass of Chardonnay is. <laughs> or, you know, in these these tough times, some fucking bot guy made from the potatoes in the back. Like, <laughs> I really need it because I used the only potato we had to eat to make this vodka. I'm so going to forget about me. everything. Oh, and then this motherfucker's going to take that from me? What else are you going to take? No wonder why they killed him. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I get saucy when I run out of wine and Jimmy has not preemptively bought me more, Okay. <laughs> I don't beat him. Wink, wink. Uh-uh. <laughs> His back hurts because he was working. <laughs> yeah. Working so hard. <laughs> Not because Jennifer just randomly kicks him. <laughs> <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> so instead of, instead, it damaged the funding of the war um, due to the Treasury now being deprived of alcohol taxes. Sounds like some American type Congress work. You know it what I mean? It does. It really, really does. In the streets, red banners appeared and the crowds chanted, Down with the German woman! Down with Protopoyev! Popov! Down with the war! Down with the Tsar! As a combination of very severe cold weather and acute food shortages caused people to break into shops. And, and they were all sober. Cold, mm. hungry, and sober. That is not a good look for your people. Listen, we all know Russians love their vodka. They give babies vodka, okay? Right. Which, I get it. Babies would be a lot more jovial if they're full of vodka, okay? <laughs> Fuck those brain cells, right? That's why Emma's always in a good mood. <laughs> I keep her dosed up. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Just kidding. Please don't call Total Protective Services. <laughs> this is all, a, all joke. a joke. <laughs> or is it? <laughs> Thanks for things. They're going to be at my house waiting for me when I leave here. <laughs> Listen, they would call on me before they call on you. <laughs> I don't know. I got three unbeaten at home and drink, drinking. Yeah. <laughs> Stay just in a stumbling drunkenness <laughs> could you imagine Camilla and Emma drunk 
<laughs> no. Well, this is why I Roblox. I want to a house with me. Sometimes the things she shows me that are cool, I'm like, you got to be a little tipsy. <laughs> <laughs> you've been you've been nipping a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, everyone was turning against the monarchy, including the soldiers and officers in the capital. Things were quickly devolving, and tensions were extremely high. After a coronary occlusion, Nicholas finally decided, time to abdicate. Like, you know what? Now it's starting to fuck. I love me. It's time for me to go. <laughs> a little late. <laughs> right. He initially abdicated the throne to his son, and then upon doctor's warnings of a premature death, if he was to be separated of his parents, he was like, oh, shit. Let me abdicate to my brother, Grand Duke Michael, who was like, <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Um, you already fucked this all up. <laughs> I'm good. Hard I don't want pass. your fucking mess. So let them vote for who they want in charge. Effectively ending the 300 year long reign of the Romanovs. You may think Rasputin's part has played out, but just wait. After the abdication, there were fears that Rasputin's grave would become a pilgrimage site and become a monument to the Tsarist regime. In early summer, soldiers dug up Rasputin's grave and proceeded to burn his corpse. However, once lit, his body sat straight the fuck up, scaring the shit out of the soldiers. Oh, that's a fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm here for it. So they, it was possibly the pugilistic stance refer, in reference to it, like a boxer's pose. Fire will cause the soft tissues to contract, which causes the skin to tear and the fat and muscles to shrink. The internal organs will also shrink. The muscles contract due to the burning and this causes the joints to flex. As a result, burned bodies are often contorted. The bodies of Pompeii, they're often in that fetal position. That's another exhibit of the pugilistic stance. That's all hogwash. It was him letting them know. I'm coming back, bitch. Exactly. Jesus. Somebody call Bartok. (laughs) Your science. (laughs) I mean, science. You will know better. (laughs) He was a fucking magician, y'all. Exactly. Sounded like magic to me. (laughs) So his terrifying legend prevails as the revolution starts heating up. Both the provisional government and Nicholas wanted the royal family to go into exile following his abdication. They sought the protection of the United Kingdom and King George V, who was Nicholas's first cousin, which is Queen Elizabeth's grandfather. Okay. They spent a lot of time together in their youth. They actually looked a whole lot alike. And, of course, he's going to go to that relative and be like, hey, shit's getting literally hot over here. The burned Rasputin up my own me next, you know me. <laughs> I can smell the pork now. Oh. <laughs> if you know, you know. <laughs> Initially, the British government reluctantly offered asylum, but with anti-German sentiment and a previous uprising in Ireland, they took back the offer to protect themselves and suggest Nicholas and his family find a more neutral country to exile to. <laughs> You know what? You guys might want to go somewhere that isn't here. <laughs> you know what? I was going to let you stay, but I forgot I got family coming in. So it's not a good time for me. So <laughs> you could just maybe find somewhere else to crash. King he thinks. King George was so much like Nikki that like he bowed down to his wife. Like she's the one who made the decision that like they they can't come over here. And in fact, you know, they call it House of Windsor. Um, it used to be Saxon Coburg. But because that was so Germanic sounding. They literally changed the whole royal family's name to be better for public appearances. And this was around that time. So they're like, mm, we probably don't need that German bitch over here. <laughs> so let me, let me get this right. They're like, husband and wife are like sitting there and he's like, hey, hey, so I invited, you know, the exiled people. And she's like, you invited who? I don't remember you fucking talking about You better about uninvite them. <laughs> uh, uh, no, sir. 
<laughs> not today. <laughs> you think I want to be burned? Mm -mm. Um, no, no, sir, I don't. <laughs> Let me tell you about pugilistic stance, okay? <laughs> the French government declined as well as many others. The crown heads of Europe, you know, mainly Spain, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, considered ways to rescue the family, but they all feared antagonizing the new government in Russia. Like, ooh, <laughs> they look a little spicy. <laughs> <laughs> the provisional Russian government was on shaky grounds to begin with, and having their presence would do nothing to soothe the tensions of anger. There were fears that their presence could incite pro-monarchists to restore Nicholas's throne. At first, they were under house arrest at the Alexander Palace in Skarkoya, St. Lowe. Do they have uh, uh, house with rush bracelets on? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the little beepers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you ever seen people out with those on? I was in a Walmart <laughs> grocery store, which is something I don't do. And the people in front of me was like this really cute looking girl, little cute guy. You know, they look a little, little thuggy, but I like their, like they have like cute little person. And then I looked down. She's wearing these gorgeous sandals and this huge fucking yes. ankle monitor. <laughs> like the biggest, like a 1998 beeper special. Okay. <laughs> I know they have not updated it. It's like, I'm sure you can make a smaller tracker than that one. <laughs> not for you, bitch. <laughs> They're like, we want everybody to know. You a little thug. Right. That's what I do hood rat things with my friends. With <laughs> my hood rat friends. <laughs> I saw a video the day it made me think of you. It's like, spring, I feel the inner hood rat in me defrosting. Ah, <laughs> she's always defrosted. <laughs> <laughs> always ready to do hood, hood rat shit and fuck people up. Exactly. Exactly. You see her? She crib, she crib walking. <laughs> That's how she roll. It is. <laughs> Members of the domestic staff, which are like the waitresses, the servers, the butlers and all that shit they were allowed to stay if they wished and oh, I'm out i'm good yeah, like, no 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 and the the people that were keeping them were like we're at least going to do you the solid and keep your culinary standards the same so they were still eating very well although the rest of the country is starving because there's no food eggs are like five dollars an egg and they're like but we got you fam you know don't you worry we'll get you your stuff don't you worry the family had total privacy inside the palace, but the walks on the grounds were strictly regulated. And by August of 1917, the family was moved to Toplosk, and the family began searching for hidden messages about their situation in captivity to the outside world in hopes of reaching pro-monarchist groups. Between March and October of 1917, the provisional government was restructured no less than four times until the Bolsheviks took over completely. Well, they just pulling up some Tsarina shit right there. Right. Now, I love history, but Soviet Russia and Lenin, they're not my fortes, so I will do my best to give you my version in condensed form. I'm sure it's the best version. Oh, thank you. Stop. <laughs> I love you so much. <laughs> this is why we do this together. Exactly. The provisional government was not happy with the monarchy by any means, but they also were sympathetic towards the Romanovs and just wanted them gone. The bullshit, like, you know, like that normal breakup, the immature breakup, like, we're done. I don't want to ever see you again, but I'm not going to sit there and, and bring you harm either. Well, you said the immature way? No, well, they were doing it the mature way. Like, we're oh, going to still take care of you. We I'm pretty just sure you, you said immature. Oh, okay. The, I meant the mature way. I'm Sorry. Like, so it's the mature way, Jennifer? <laughs> the, yeah, like, the mature I'm way. Yeah. Egg your house afterwards and slash your tires. <laughs> if they were really grown, they would have went and slash his tires. Exactly. Like, <laughs> they over would. here doing this bullshit talking about we can still be friends. <laughs> the hell How we will immature. be. <laughs> <laughs> the Bolsheviks were like, mm -mm. They're, they 
were founded by Lenin on Marxist values. Marxism is a type of communism where, in simple terms, everyone owns an equal share and must do equal work and that there are no classes. JJ, is that correct? <laughs> Good job, Jennifer. So far, you're on point. It's <laughs> a lot of pressure. <laughs> there are no rich and no poor, just Russians. Eventually, the Bolsheviks would become the USSR. The left-wing Bolsheviks were deeply unhappy with the government and began spreading calls for a military uprising. The Bolsheviks wanted to see the royals bleed and would stop at nothing to make that happen. They overthrew the weaker provisional government as Lenin believed the government could only be run by a strong professional leadership with a deep dedication to Marxist theoretical principles <laughs> and an organization that spanned through the whole of Russia, abandoning what Lenin called artisanal work <laughs> towards a more organized revolutionary work. So it actually just sounds like a bunch of really boring shit. Yeah, it really does. I was falling asleep. Taking over here. all the flavor out. You yeah. know what I mean? There's some white people salt and pepper shit. <laughs> Wait, that's even too spicy. Okay, just salt. <laughs> we gotta keep that blood pressure high. <laughs> As the revolution was not universally recognized, the country descended into Russian civil war, which would last until 1923 and it ultimately lead to the creation of the Soviet Union in late 1922. This is when Stalin would rise to fame. You may recall his part in. World War II. Never heard of him. Never heard of him. Tell no. me more. <laughs> that's a story for a whole different day. I was not into researching about World War II. I was like, that's after. That's post. That's post Roman. No, you got nothing to do with it. <laughs> I got time for this bullshit. Right. <laughs> Underestimating Lenin's power and influence, the royal family spent their days in the governor's mansion of Toblusk, reading books, exercising, and playing games. Nicholas, particularly, was fond of chopping firewood. How what? fucking boring is life that that was like your highlight? You know what? I see a cedar that needs chopping. <laughs> well, there isn't, you know, I mean, running around shirtless, just chopping wood. I'm sure <laughs> the ladies enjoyed it. Exactly. <laughs> just that stark ass white skin in the Russian sunlight. <laughs> Sounds like me. <laughs> in February 1918, the Council of People's Commissars, abbreviated to the Sarvnarkom, which does not sound like abbreviation to me, but I digress. <laughs> in Moscow, the new capital announced that the state subsidy for the family would be drastically reduced starting on the 1st of March. This meant parting with 12 devoted servants and giving up their butter and coffee as luxuries. Uh-uh. Not. Mm, no. <laughs> no, sir. You're like, butter, okay. Coffee? How Take an extra servant you? and give me my coffee. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Even though Nicholas added funds from his own resources, they still imposed these measures on them. And then the news came of the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk. It was a separate peace treaty signed on the 3rd of March, 1918, between Russia and Central Powers, which is Germany, Austria-Hungary, Bulgaria, and the Ottoman Empire, that ended Russia's participation in World War I. They, Russia, in this agreement, agreed to give up Poland, Finland, the Baltic states, most of Belarus, the Ukraine, the Crimea, most of the Caucasus, and small parts of Russia proper, including the areas around Peskov and Rostov Adon. Sounds like somebody's like kinky um, name. <laughs> Peskov Don. On Don. <laughs> this would go back and forth with Ukraine finally achieving their independence in 1991, which Putin is currently using as an excuse to try to annex the Ukraine now. But President Vladimir Putin considers Nicholas II actually a weak leader in the beginning of Russia's downfall, which I would like. Did you not see before that, though? <laughs> right. I think that was a long time coming. <laughs> Eventually, Tobolsk would also heat up and the family would again be moved. 
But this time it would be to Yekentenburg in April 1918, where they stayed in prison in the Impetive House with the intention of eventually bringing Nicholas to a show trial in the new capital of Moscow. It was home to the military engineer Nikolay Nikolaevich Impetive. Impetive? I don't know. Anyways, which ominously <laughs> became referred to as the House of Special Purpose. Oh, okay. What's that room uh, in Harry Potter? The room of room of requirement is exactly the first thing. Oh, he's so hot. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> Here, the Romanovs were kept under even stricter conditions. The retinue was further reduced and their possessions... <laughs> Did you just get in trouble with Jimmy? Did you see JJ's face when he was getting the gummy? He was like. (laughs) (laughs) Here the Romanovs were kept under even stricter conditions. Their retinue was further reduced and their possessions were searched. They were kept in strict isolation and forbidden to speak any language other than Russian and were not permitted access to their luggage. Their brownie cameras and photogenic equipment were confiscated. There was a bunch of um, pictures they had taken of themselves during this time. Selfies? Yeah. Well, kind of. The the, the selfies before selfies? Take a selfie with a giant (laughs) big ass fucking camera. (laughs) How it's like being back in the days when you had a disposable camera and you didn't know what the fuck it was going to look like until you got that shit developed. You end up having 30 million thumb photos. (laughs) Yes. Kids will never understand our struggles. They never will. They never will. It's old fashioned. <laughs> <laughs> I had to dial up my own internet. <laughs> <laughs> their servants were ordered to address the Romanovs only by their names and patronic, patronic, uh, patronymics, which is like mom, father, daughter, whatever. The imperial family was subjected to regular searches of their belongings, which I'm like, if they're in captivity, what you gonna find? Well, guess what? Inmates are in captivity, too, and you find all kinds of stuff in their cells. That's true, though. People be smuggling the shit up their butts and things. Exactly. <laughs> Come on, it's called Jennifer. a prison bucket. <laughs> Get with the times, my friend. <laughs> they had their money confiscated for safekeeping by the Ural Regional Soviet Treasure. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> and they, by the uh, way, I need your and Jimmy's money for safekeeping. <laughs> yeah. You could just hand that over. Don't worry, I'm Don't worry, it. I'm going to keep it safe. Super safe. <laughs> And they actually tried to take up, you know, the the jewelry from Alexandra and her daughters. The house was surrounded by a 13-foot high double palisade that obscured the view of the streets from the house. The initial fence enclosed the garden along the Bosaneski Lane. On the 5th of June, a second palisade was constructed after it was learned that a passerby could see Nicholas's legs when he used the double swing in the garden. Okay, I am just need these people to fucking stop. <laughs> This is just ridiculous. The wind- I can see his ankles, sweetness. You better put them ankles away. Pop another wall. <laughs> <laughs> we all know how those Europeans love walls. <laughs> the windows in all the family's rooms were sealed shut and covered with newspapers. Now remember, no air conditioning at the time. Could you imagine? That's just Absolutely not. Just old stink-ass air. Mm-mm. They later painted the windows with whitewash. Their only source of ventilation was a small window in the Grand Duchess's bedroom. Peeking out of it was strictly forbidden. In May, a sentry fired a shot at Anastasia when she looked out. After the Romanovs made repeated requests, one of the two windows in the Tsar and the Tsarina's quarter bedroom was unsealed in June. There was an iron grill, though, installed on top of it after Alexandra had ignored repeated warnings 
from the commandant to not stand too close to the open window. Like, bitch, your child just died and got shot at. You could still be... Well, it's hot, motherfucker. I'll take my chances. You took my coffee. You sealed up my windows. What else? What's next? At this point, being shot would be a sweet release from this hell I'm in. (laughs) Stuck with all these children and all of them are teenage girls. (laughs) Oh, no. The prisoners were required to ring a bell each time they wished to leave the rooms and use the bathroom and lavatory on the landing. Strict rationing of water supply was enforced on the prisoners after the guards complained that it regularly ran out. Rations were mostly tea and black bread for breakfast, cutlets or soup with meat for lunch, and the prisoners were informed that they were no longer permitted to live like czars. So, now, like, shit's getting real for them. Now you're taking away my culinary, you take away my servants, you take away my coffee, I can't even look out a goddamn window. <laughs> I can't even show my ankles off. <laughs> In mid-June, nuns from the Novia Tivkin Sky Monastery also brought the family food on a daily basis, most of which the captors took when they arrived. <laughs> Fuck y'all, you ain't living like no Zaz. My, it's my borscht. <laughs> Recreation was only allowed twice daily in the garden for a half hour in the morning and a half hour in the afternoon, and the prisoners were ordered not to engage in conversation with any of the guards. The family was not allowed visitors or to receive the send letters, and by June they no longer were allowed to have newspapers. So they were completely cut off. Wow. We like this man less and less. The diary entry of Tsar Nicholas said, referring to the constant tightening of restrictions on his family by Yurovsky. During this, there was a, another, you guessed it, revolt. This one was of the Czechoslovak Legion, whose forces were approaching the city from the east. This prompted a wave of execution and murders of those in the region who believed to be counter-revolutionaries, inclu- including Grand Duke Michael, who was the guy who was supposed to be next, and he was like, no, 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 fine, no, thank you. <laughs> he was murdered on the 13th of June. Although the Bolshevik leadership in Moscow still intended to bring Nicholas to trial, as the military situation deteriorated, Leon Trotsky and Yakov Sverdov began publicly hint about the possible fate of the former czar. On July 16th, the leadership of that town that they were staying in, the Yekantierberg, <laughs> informed Yurovsky that there had been decided to execute the Romanovs as soon as approval arrived in Moscow because the Czechs were expected to reach the city imminently. Now, there was some back and forth on the exact details of their execution, but based on several accounts, here's the best summation of what occurred. There was significant discussion on when, how, and who would be executed. They debated on not harming Alexander and the children, but eventually it was surmised that it would had to be done and kept absolutely secret as possible and not even share the specifics with Lenin, just in case. Plausible deniability. Absolutely. They went through a variety of plans, such as shooting and stabbing them at night while they slept or killing them in the forest and dumping them into a a pond with lumps of metal attached to their bodies, but both of those were ruled out. The final plan would be gathering the family and their servants in a small, confined space from which they could not escape. The basement room... (laughs) <laughs> again again nothing ever had good happens in a basement anytime they call your whole family to the basement do not go but how many exits are in a basement one exactly. most of the time exactly they never seen no horror movie Listen, well they took their papers what would Jen do if I would do it don't <laughs> in general <laughs> she's like what a group meeting in the basement let's go <laughs> I haven't been in the basement in forever you guys forgot the dogs get them too <laughs> <laughs> let's all go <laughs> They said there's streets and wine down there. <laughs> <laughs> Petite Lafours. <laughs> oh my God. It's 
Smells a little weird, but I'm down. <laughs> the basement room was chosen for the, the purpose that it had a barred window and it was nailed shut to muffle the sound of the shooting in case of any screaming. Around the midnight on July 17th, Yarovsky ordered the Romanov's physician, Eugene Blotkin, to awaken the sleeping family and ask them to put on their clothes under the pretext the family would move to a safe location due to like the impending chaos and the revolution that was headed their way. They were told to wait as a truck was coming to get them. But in a few minutes, you're going to wait in a basement. That's what I was just thinking. This is where it would start falling apart for me. They were Why am I waiting people. in the basement for my ride? <laughs> like, this is not... No. <laughs> they can't even see me down here. This is here. not even a subway. No. <laughs> they can't see me or hear me. <laughs> yes, that's right, Becky. Come on down. <laughs> Shh. Just come on. <laughs> Within a few minutes, a slew of guards came in with rifles and bayonets, and the secret police read an order out loud. Nikolai Alexandrovich, in the view of the fact that your relatives are continuing their attack on Soviet Russia... The Ural Executive Committee had decided to execute you. Confused, he was like, wait, what? <laughs> and within, wait, well, I thought I was waiting for Uber. <laughs> like, whoa, 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 what? And within a few minutes, they read the order again. And right after that, they raised their guns and they fired upon the family and their servants. They first shot Nicholas. He fell dead, pierced with at least three bullets in his upper chest. The intoxicated and Peter Ermakov, the military commissar, Shot and killed Alexander with a bullet wound to her head. Then he shot Maria, who ran for the double doors, hitting her in the thigh. The remaining executioners shot chaotically and over each other's shoulders until the room oh, was Jesus. so filled with smoke and dust. No one could see anything at all in the darkness. Nor did we get him? Did we get him? Did we get him? I don't know. <laughs> it's so dark and smoky in here. <laughs> Within a few minutes, Yurovsky was like, hold up, hold up. Y'all gonna have to stop. Hold on, stop. Is this where the saying, let the smoke clear came from? <laughs> this could be a fun fact. <laughs> Insert that here, Jimmy. <laughs> Not your dick. <laughs> Jimmy's Fun Facts. The idiom when the smoke clears has been around for a long time, but its origins are as ambiguous as it can get. The earliest usage I could find dates back to the gunpowder days. During battle, vast clouds of smoke would be created from the repeated volleys of rifle and cannon fire, which would naturally be detrimental to visibility. Waiting for the smoke to clear in this instance would be to hold fire until visibility returns in order to reassess the situation. It is also known to have been used in regards to early magician acts, where puffs of smoke would be used as a mask of illusion, only revealing the end state of the trick once the smoke dissipates. In modern usage, and in all cases, it means to wait until the facts, presently ambiguous, become known. So... They had to wait because the the walls were uh, plaster. So with the bullets hitting that, that created a puff of smoke and then the smoke from the gun. So nobody could see anything. It was dark. They waited for it to... Waited for the smoke to clear? Say for, waited for the smoke to clear. <laughs> there we go. And there then it is. the reverberation of the noise from the gunshots also gave everybody a little bit of the tinnitus. You know, <laughs> nobody could hear shit. You don't say. When they stopped, the doors were open to scatter the smoke. While waiting for the smoke to abate, the killers could hear moans and whimpers inside the room. As it cleared, it became evident that only that although several of the family's retainers had been killed, all of the imperial children were alive and only Maria was injured. Unknowingly, the Romanov girls had sewed a couple pounds of jewelry into their clothes in the event they could escape so they could use their jewelry to pay their way. And nice. it, it became bulletproof vest. That's what I'm talking about. Women were always one step ahead of the game. 
So then the executioners were ordered to use their bayonets. Oh, yeah. That's too bad. A technique. <laughs> that's too bad. <laughs> well, that's a rough goal. <laughs> At this point, I'm wishing I just got shot. <laughs> yeah. The uh, technique, which proved ineffective and meant that the children had to be dispatched by still more gunshots that were aimed precisely at their heads. Mm. Like, the stabbing's not working. Let's try the bullets again. Ay, ay, ay. The Zarevich was the first of the children to be executed. He watched in disbelief as Nicolin spent an entire magazine from his Browning gun on Alexei. Oh, my. That's excessive, to say the least. Very. He was also still seated in his, and transfixed in his chair. He had jewels sewn into his undergarment and his forage cap. He received two bullets to his head right behind the ear. Ermakov shot and stabbed him, and when that failed, Urofsky shoved him aside and killed the boy with a gunshot wound to the head. The last to die were Tatiana, Anastasia, and Maria. They were speared with bayonets as well. Olga sustained a gunshot wound to the head. Maria and Anastasia were said to have crouched up against a wall, covering their heads in terror until they were shot. Yurovsky killed Tatiana and Alexei. Tatiana died from a single shot to the back of her head. Anna Dimidova, Alexandra's maid, survived the initial onslaught but was quickly stabbed to death against the back wall, trying to defend herself with a small pillow. I don't mean to laugh, but it was like, of all the things to grab. <laughs> uh, she had carried, it was actually filled with precious gems. So, I mean, it probably looked silly, but there was a theory behind it, I guess. While I'm the bodies to laugh, <laughs> I know it's weird. It's like uh, I feel like a bad person for laughing, but I can't not. You know. I mean, I guess at that point you're just grabbing whatever and praying that something works. Jesus Christ! While the bodies were being placed on stretchers, one of the girls cried out. Some say two or more girls actually cried out and covered her face with an arm when Ermakov grabbed Alexander Strakoitin's rifle and bayoneted her in the chest. But when it failed to penetrate, he pulled out his revolver and shot her in the head. The entire execution sounds like it was hours long, but it happened in a excruciating 20 minutes. Mm. Further investigations calculated there was a possible 70 bullets fired, roughly seven bullets per shooter, of which 57 were found in the basement and at all three subsequent grave sites. Alexander Balodrabov, or however you say that, sent a coded <laughs> message to Lenin's secretary, Nikolai Gorbabov, Gorbanov. It was found by white investigator Nikolai Sokolov and reads, Informs Sverdlov the whole family have shared the same fate as the head. Officially, the family will die in the evacuation. Did you did you say this was a cryptic message? Because I feel like it's pretty blatant. What happened? (laughs) (laughs) Now came time for the disposal of the bodies, which is such a fucking fiasco. Like you hear that song that. (laughs) This is exactly what it makes me think of. So when you're watching the Three Stooges, it's like. It's like such a haphazard way of trying to bury people. They originally planned to bury him in the Kaptiaki forest, but they realized they only brought one shovel. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. You got to be kidding me. So well, who, who packed for him? JJ? <laughs> <laughs> now, this was after they walked with them in carts for half a mile when their little Fiat truck, they were transporting the bodies in. Oh, they put them all in a Fiat too? Yeah. And they thought it was going to go somewhere with a bunch of bodies in there? Are you fucking kidding me? You got bogged down. They're like, all right, we're going to have to truck at the last half a you yep. one shovel, one <laughs> one shovel and one Fiat. Awesome, awesome planning. <laughs> so they met up with some workers who were pissed because they were already dead, and because they were already they had been promised like we get to be a part of the the lynch mob and kill them. And oh, then when they showed up and they were already dead, they were fighting because like, they didn't get to stab folks. Yeah, exactly. Ay yay. And all of them were already pretty drunk, 
from pre-gaming very hard, so they were really <laughs> rowdy. Uh, after the pilfering of jewels and the molestation of Tsarina's corpse. Oh, that's just real classy there. Mm -hmm. Yurovsky ordered them to back off by gunpoint and eventually would dismiss quite a few of the men for their drunk rowdiness. Like, they lifted up her skirt and messed with her. And he was like, the hell you will. And I'm like, you just fucking killed the shit out of them. Not, not saying that that's okay, but it's like, that's the pot in the kettle here. Right. Like, what do you think you did to her? Like, mm. nothing right happened here. This went really dark really quick. Very quick. From the fiat, it's downhill. <laughs> so far, yeah. <laughs> they planned to throw them down a mine shaft. They laid their bodies out, removed their clothes, burned them while taking the inventory of the jewelry. Once naked, they dumped them into a mine shaft, doused them with sulfuric acid to disfigure them beyond recognition. Only then did Yurovsky discover that the pit was less than 10 feet deep and the muddy water below did not sum fully submerge the corpses as he had expected. These are fucking idiots. Exactly. This is why people get caught. He unsuccessfully tried to collapse the mine with hand grenades, after which his men covered it with loose earth and branches. I know we're out here like trying to dispose of these bodies where they're not going to be found and no one knows, but if we throw a few hand grenades, I don't think it'll draw any attention <laughs> to what we're doing over here. Not at all. <laughs> so he left three men to guard the site while he returned back to the city and... He also took a bag of looted diamonds and jewelry. It was about 18 pounds. Could you imagine how much money? Oh, my. To report back to the Bolsheviks, you know. And Was he going to grab some more shovels, too, while he was there? <laughs> well, they got together, and they were, like, debating on their like, ah, You know it. what? That pit is going to be too shallow. We're going to go back and dig them up. So that's what he did. So hopefully he, again, grabbed more shovels. <laughs> so Sergei Kuchskakev from the local Soviet, told Yurovsky of some deeper copper mines west of the city. The area was remote and swampy, and a grave was less than likely to be discovered. If we went to bury Jimmy's body and you brought one shovel, I'd be like, I guess you planned on digging by yourself. Don't hand that bitch to me. I hold a flashlight, bitch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> These hands ain't made for that. Uh-uh. One shovel, six feet down? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> so, okay, he, he went out to go check the site to prepare, be like, okay, we're going to make sure this is going to work this time. And so on the evening of July 17th, he ordered additional trucks to be sent out to the forest while assigning Pyotr Vakyov to obtain barrels of petrol, kerosene, and sulfuric acid, and plenty of dry firewood. Yurovsky also sees several horse-drawn carts to be used in the removal of the bodies to the new site. Could you imagine? Now you're going to have to go down. These people are covered in sulfuric acid to begin with. And right. And they're in muddy-ass water. Burned. And it's probably stanky. Oh, yeah. Just in general, before you put rotten bodies in there. And they've been left. So the sodden corpses were hauled out one by one using ropes tied to their mangled limbs and laid under a tarpon in the early hours of July 18th. During transportation to the deeper copper mines on the early morning of the 19th of July, the Fiat truck, once again, carrying the bodies, got stuck in the mud near Poroskonov. They don't log. learn, do they? They don't learn from no. their mistakes. They were stuck near Poroskinakov Log, which is Russian for Piglet's Ravine. Oh, so it sounds like it was a fun place to be stuck. Yeah. With the men exhausted, most refusing to obey orders and Don approaching, they said, fuck it. They're getting buried right here. Yeah. At that point, I'm like, you know what? Let me tell you something, boss man. So far, your plans haven't been great, eh? <laughs> <laughs> so we ain't going nowhere. <laughs> so I'm going to quit following your plan. <laughs> So they dug grave that was about six foot by eight foot and barely 60 uh, centimeters, which is about two feet deep. 
Alexi Trepp. Shallow graves. They get you hemmed up every time. Right. <laughs> Alexi's body was tossed in first, followed by the czars, and then the rest. Wait, so they put them all in the one grave that wasn't very deep? Not all of them. Oh, okay. no. Uh, they put a, a bunch of them in there, and then they put sulfuric acid on them again. And then they smashed their faces with rifle butts, and then covered <sighs> it with quick lime. Railroad ties were placed over the grave to disguise it, and with the fiat truck being driven back and forth over the ties to press them into earth and really like, this is it. <laughs> it was completed at 6 a.m. on July 19th. He had separated Sarvich Alexi and one of his sisters to be buried. Alexi keeps like going off because I say Alexi. <laughs> About 50 feet away in an attempt to confuse anyone who might discover the mass grave with only nine bodies. Since the female body was so badly disfigured, Yurovsky mistook her for Anna Demidova in his report that he wrote that he had actually wanted to destroy Alexandra's corpse. Alexei and his sister were burned in a bonfire and their remaining charred bones were thoroughly smashed with spades and tossed into a smaller pit. 44 partial bone fragments from both corpses were found in August of 2007. Oh, wow. So on the afternoon of July 19th, Philippe Galashkoyan announced at the Opera House at on Glavi Prospect that Nicholas the Bloody had been shot and his family taken to another place. A local paper in the city that they were um, held hostage in published Execution of Nicholas, the Bloody Crown Murderer, shot without the bourgeois formalities, but in accordance with our new democratic principles, along with the coda that the wife and son of Nikos Romanov have been sent to a safe place. Lies and garbage. Mm -hmm. And an official announcement appeared in the national press two days later. It reported the monarch had been executed on the order of Yorolis Pokum, under pressure posed by the approach of the Czechoslovaks. Over the course of 84 days after the murders, 27 more friends and relatives, 14 Romanovs, and 13 members of the imperial entourage and household were murdered by the Bolsheviks. Although official Soviet accounts placed the responsibility for the decision upon um, Yorolopolkovsk, mm. Get to the end of this. <laughs> Almost done. An entry in Leon Trotsky's diaries reportedly suggested the order had been given by Lenin himself. Trotsky wrote, My next visit to Moscow took place after the fall of Yekaterinburg. Talking to Sverdlov, I asked in passing, Oh, yes, and where's the czar? It's all over, he answered. He has been shot. And where's his family? And the family with him. All of them, I asked. Apparently, with a touch of surprise, all of them, replied Yakov. What about it? He was waiting to see my reaction. I made a reply. And who made the decision, I asked. We decided it there. Lenin believed that we shouldn't leave the whites a live banner to rally around, especially under the present difficult circumstances. So they didn't want an uprising from the people who supported the Bolsheviks for killing innocent women and children. We just lied about it. We killed them and then lied about it. <laughs> As of 2011, there's been no conclusive evidence that either Lenin or Sverdlov gave the order. So nobody really knows that. Over the years, many came forth claiming to be Surai members of the Romanovs. Most reportedly, Anastasia. Hence the movie and all that jazz. In May 1979, the remains of most of the family and their retainers were found by amateur enthusiasts who kept the discovery secret until the collapse of the Soviet Union. And I'm sure that like, if the Soviet Union had found out about it, they probably would have dug him up and Put him somewhere else. Yeah. Using a fiat. <laughs> and one shovel. In July 1991, the bodies of five family members, the czar, Tsarina, and three of the daughters were exhumed. 
After forensic examination and DNA identification, the bodies were laid to rest with state honors in St. Catherine Chapel of Peter and Paul Cathedral in St. Petersburg. The remaining two bodies of Alexei and one of his sisters, presumed to be Maria by Russian anthropologists and Anastasia by American ones, were discovered in 2007. So that's that separate grave. And that kind of like finally ended all those rumors about Anastasia. On August 26, 2010, a Russian court ordered prosecutors to reopen an investigation into the murder of Tsar Nicholas II and his family, although the Bolsheviks believed to have shot them in 1918 had died long before. There's widespread legend that the remains of the Romanovs were completely destroyed at the Ganina Yama during the ritual murder and a profitable pilgrimage business developed there. Regardless of what may have happened, you can't uncrack the proverbial eggs. And so ends the story of a 300-year-long dynasty, the Romanovs, mm -hmm. and their main man, Grigory Raspion. Raspion for life. For life. That's it. Well, that was very good. You did an excellent job. I always like to tell people the fun it's really dark that I do that. The fun fact that they all were wearing jewels in their clothes, like, and they didn't die at first. They had to go back and stab them more. <laughs> and then some of them, the jewels were still so good that they couldn't stab them. Like, one bitch had a pillow full of jewels. You know what I mean? Like, kick <laughs> That's pretty awesome. I'd love a pillow full of jewels. Get on it, JJ. And I'm talking about real stuff. None of that 50 cent gumball machine bullshit. Thank you. Visit Hellsburg's K's. Here, Jared has diamonds. I don't know. Thank you. <laughs> we have some a fun story coming your way and then some more serious shit coming your way. True story. So glad that we're done with Rasputin and I can stop thinking and dreaming about him and his uh. weird ass eyes and his. If you haven't already at this point in this podcast, I'm going to need you to Google Rasputin's dick because there is a picture of it in the uh, in that museum. Awesome. I'll do that when we when we wrap this up. It's very impressive. For a cow dick, I guess. <laughs> I'm excited to look. <laughs> so don't forget to find us on Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat. Check out our merch. Let us know your own Too Close to Home stories. Definitely give us a review. We love them, good and bad. We do. We're here for both. I have steadily bragged about the lady who gave me a bad review for being too loud and for both of us cussing. I wear it as a badge of honor. I do too. <laughs> and you really should, Jennifer. I really it. like. Embrace it. I could have gotten mad. I guess most people probably would be. I'm like, oh, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> so All I got from that is you're listening. That's it. That's all that matters, right? That's it. Numbers don't lie. Mm. Well, until next time. Stay safe. Keep your head on a swivel. And don't bring it so close to home that your husband's up in the middle of the night on eBay trying to win Rasputin stick. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe if you're going to probably get executed, don't sell your jewelry into stuff. Just let go ahead and get it done. Just yeah. let it go. Quick. Let go and let God. Right. Right. Bye. Laugh, live, and love. Bye. Bye. <laughs> live, laugh, love. If you enjoyed this episode of Too Close to Home, don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on most platforms. Follow us on our social media at Too Close Home Pod on Facebook, at Too Close Podcast on Instagram, or if you have your own Too Close to Home experience, shoot us your story at Too Close to Home at Yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>